everyone, and welcome to the Deathbed Adaptation Podcast, a bi-weekly book club where we choose one classic book and compare and contrast it against its cinematic adaptations. I'm your host, Nicolo Grasso, and unfortunately, once again, I am not joined by Yuan Gledo. He's taking another well-deserved break from work. He's not feeling his best, but he did send a message over to us that I will play right now. Hello, troops. Uh, it's Yuan Gledo. Sorry, I can't be there. As it turns out, working three quarters of a day for six days a week does tie you out a little bit. But um, just thought I'd drop a, a little voice note because he's talking about the disaster artist. And I had the, um, not pleasure, pleasure's not the right word, but I did interview uh, Greg Sestero. And one, one of the big topics I hope you just kind of chat about there is the impact he's had after the disaster artist. Is this sort of his one hit wonder or is it something that he's actually going to turn into something you know, really sturdy for a career because it could go either way, really, couldn't he? he? Could end up as a Tommy Wiseau figure of like legendary proportions. It all depends on that big shark film. Anyway, enjoy talking about possibly one of the strangest modern bloody, not even controversial, just one of the strangest events to have happened in the past 20 years for film. You don't get stuff like that very often. Um, no, enjoy yourselves because th- those people are maniacs. So yeah, as you heard from from the audio, we have a small surprise, but basically Yuan managed to interview Greg Sester himself, ask him a couple of questions of the disaster artist that is the book that we're going to be talking about today. But before we continue, I want to introduce my guests of this episode, a lovely bunch. We have Max Sanz, Vincent, and Hilary White joining us. How are both of you doing? Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Max. <laughs> Fun fact, Greg Sestero was in Montreal yesterday, but uh, I did not go to the screening of The Room. I went to see Jurassic World, and it was fucking terrible. Oh, I'm (laughs) so so sorry. (laughs) That's what I keep hearing. My my condolences. (laughs) Yeah, Jurassic World Dominion. You should have gone to The Room. Did you manage to actually watch? Well, we'll get into those questions. I'll keep the questions for later. Um, but yes, I'm sorry. Was he presenting his own movie? Because I know Greg Sessler made his own movie. He was presenting uh, The Room and his own uh, uh, movie that he made. I don't remember what, what it was called, but he uh, yeah, he made, a, he made a movie. Directorial feature. Um, haven't heard many <laughs> good things about it, <laughs> to be honest. But I mean, it did something at least. Um, how about you, Hilary? Oh. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, I have not had any screenings of The Room in uh, my neck of the woods for a very long time, but um, if that did happen, I probably would go. Um, just <laughs> It took time for me to uh, develop a relationship with this movie, um, oh. and I'm proud of the fact that it still, it still um, draws audiences and it still plays everywhere. Um, it still goes on tour. Um, but I have missed that opportunity. But unfortunately, I, didn't. I mean, I was going to say, fortunately, I didn't end up at Jurassic Park Dominion. Um, I'm really <laughs> sorry, Max. <laughs> Deepest condolences. I know. Yeah, I'll send you a fruit basket or something. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm so excited that we're doing this episode because there's there's a lot to talk about in here, and it's going to be a fun one. But before we continue. As usual, if you're listening to us on Spotify, on Apple, or on YouTube, consider following, subscribing, leaving five stars, a like, whatever rocks your boat. Thank you for following us. Thank you for listening to this episode. And now, without further ado, let's talk about the disaster artist. I was just saying, you've toured the room for quite some time. 
and it's uh do, do you enjoy seeing the fan reaction to it the, the sort of the midnight screening atmosphere yeah i mean it's it's always you know similar but at the same time unique everywhere and i remember at the time side um i last time i was there was 2019 and i was talking about making a new horror film um and i made the movie just as the pandemic was happening i remember the tyneside audience was so great at the end of the film they were um set so much energy and so much fun so i told them if i made the new movie i would come back and show it so here we are now three years later and i'm coming back to the tyneside to, to show the new movie Miracle Valley and also an anniversary screening of the room because they really did it right last time. There were so many spoons and um, at the end of the movie, I thought it was kind of late when it finished, but they were all on there, you know, standing up and cheering and so many questions. So uh, I'm really stoked to come back. I love Newcastle. Yeah, I was I was about to ask. Um, so you you spent a bit of time in Newcastle. Was there any anything particular about the city that you enjoyed? So you know, I like the architecture. I mean, I've been to a lot of UK cities, so they sometimes they start to blend. But Newcastle really had a you know, an elegance to it. I love the downtown. The, the river was beautiful. Um, so I didn't get to spend much time. So hopefully I now have a, a couple more, maybe a day or another day or so to check out the city. Yeah. And you mentioned there Miracle Valley, which is a, you, you step behind the camera for that one, for, um, which is, I'm looking forward to it personally. Um, did, did you take any lessons from Tommy Wiseau in, in his department? You know, he directed Best Friends with yourself, uh, The Room, obviously, and Big Shark upcoming as well. Uh, did he depart any wisdom on the other? So with, with Best Friends, which we showed last time, I was at Tyneside, um, we showed Volumes 1 and Volume 2. So I wrote and produced those movies, which was a really fun experience. And then I thought for the next thing, uh, it would be a fun challenge to try to do it all, especially because I was living in this property down in the middle of nowhere. And I was writing the script as I was traveling so I could imagine where the scenes could take place. So almost like I directed it. Uh, before writing it so I figured you know it's once once in a while you get a chance to do that and I figured uh, why not do it all so I know uh, learning from the room you gotta you know you gotta collaborate you gotta have people you trust so uh, that was one of the big things I learned um, making the room is like you gotta have good collaborators yeah um I'd, I'd, I'd just like to talk to you briefly about the disaster artist the book um I, I read that a couple of years ago. It was it really was fantastic. Um, it's it, it reads at times like a bit of a horror story, and it's I just wanted to know. It's like you know, it, it it's did you do you enjoy working with Tommy Wiseau? You know, you've worked with him quite a couple of times now, so there must be some enjoyment there. Yeah, I mean the book. Yeah, it does play like a kind of a nonfiction thriller novel if you don't know anything about it i remember i had a friend who read read the book and they were like they knew nothing about the story and there was they were concerned if i was going to survive or not which i thought was funny sort of like the talented mr ripley i feel like yes. um so yeah i mean it's been a long journey and i actually really enjoyed working on best friends i thought that was a more enjoyable project because you know casting is a big part of making a movie and when you have someone that's in the right role that it's the part it makes everyone's job a lot easier and i thought tommy playing a vampire mortician and best friends was a lot more suited and um therefore a lot more fun to make so i think it's good to take breaks in between and, and try different things and so but overall uh you know i've enjoyed it yeah good i mean it seems like miracle valley is a bit of a, a different step have you enjoyed your time on that 
yeah and it's cool to show audiences something new you know i feel like they've supported the room for so many years it's always fun to surprise them and give them something fresh and you know see what they think and we've tested the movie with a you know a bunch of different audiences and they all uh get a kick out of it there's a lot of participation with it and uh, it's a good you know short quick film oh, that's always good to hear um i just had one more question um, what what did you actually th- make of the the disaster artist adaptation the actual the biopic I really enjoyed it. I think the book's a lot darker, but I thought that adaptation was fun. It was refreshing. And it was a really good look into friendship and following your dreams for people that, you know, not necessarily love movies or Hollywood. Um, I thought it was an accessible story. And I thought, you know, James and, and, and the team did a really good job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the book, it's sort of, did, did you see your career going in that way, that sort of trajectory? It's not, it's not exactly the, the typical trajectory of an actor. It's it's quite a wild journey, unorthodox and and yeah. something you could never prep for, think of. You know, it's sort of uncharted. You know, that would have been a good name for the book, <laughs> uncharted. Uh, but it's very different. You just adapt to it, and at the end of the day, you just keep focusing on making things that you're passionate about. Absolutely, absolutely. That disaster artist. The book came out in 2013. It's a nonfiction story written by Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell. And it is about, on surface level, it is about the making of The Room, Tommy Wiseau's 2003 cold trash masterpiece. And before we talk about this book, I just want to know your history with The Room, because I think everyone has their own interesting way that they ended up hearing of this movie they ended up watching it maybe once twice five 20 30 times i don't know so i'm very very curious um hillary why don't you go first share your history with this trash piece uh the first time i heard about the room it was a news story and i think it was a story coming out of new york some sort of evening news thing um about people lining up around the block to see this movie and no one knew what it was. And I guess that it got even more press because Alec Baldwin, who happened to be working in town, maybe I think it was during the 30 rock days, Mm -hmm. um, ended up being interviewed as well because he just got curious and started talking to people online. Like, what is this movie? I've never heard of it. You know, that kind of thing. And then hearing of course that it was bad really intrigued me because I've been, I've enjoyed quite a few bad movies in my day but it took a long time for me to get a copy of it because, mm. you know, if you think about it, it came out in 2003. So the only way you could see it was probably buying it. And I wasn't going to buy something yeah. that I never seen. And when I finally did, I think it was, I wait a minute. I know it was 2011. I watched it with my sister and we were both so angry. I think that, I think that's like a, the, what I've told people before, because they've had similar things, like the first time you watch it, you're going to hate it. And then the second mm. time you watch it, it's going to be hilarious. Um, my sister was particularly really upset that she saw Tommy was so ass. She was so angry about that. <laughs> and she's not an angry person. She's very, very sweet. But she was just like, I did not need to see that. And I think even if you bring it up now, she's like, uh, she probably feels the same. I don't blame um, her. <laughs> no, no. It was just so shocking. You know, it was like, oh, we, I, no one asked for this, but we're going to get it. Um, so that's the first time I saw it. And then I've seen it in different circumstances since. Uh, I've seen it, you know, just screenings with friends at home. And I have mm. the Rift Tracks version of it. So since then, I've developed an affection for it. Uh, just the room 
by itself. Um, it's not my favorite bad movie, but it's definitely entertaining and it is worth, you know, sitting down and watching with a bunch of friends. So that's my experience in a nutshell. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite bad movie then? If you had to pick one or two. <sighs> oh, that's really, really oh. hard. I mean, if people are going to ask me, you know, what my favorite, um, like, riff tracks or um, mm -hmm. mystery science theater episodes are, um, there's one there's one called Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. That's my favorite. It has Raul Julia in it, and it was made for PBS, and it just makes no sense. I, <laughs> I loved how absolutely nuts that movie is. Um, and then riff tracks, there's various ones like uh, Star Games and Laser Mission. Um, I could go on and on about ones <laughs> I've watched repeatedly that they riff where it's just like you watch them and you're just like, what? They're not like The Room, but they're just enjoyable God movies. But yeah, choosing a favorite, probably impossible. I'd have to really like put pencil to paper to figure that out mathematically. That's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, now yes. I have more movies to add to my watch list. <laughs> oh, God. <Max> yeah. <laughs> what are your what is your history, Max Sans, with The Room? Yeah, well, um, it was the same uh, news report that I <laughs> that I watched. I think it was on ABC World News, and it was about The Room, the worst movie of all time. And then, uh, I don't know, I was 12 years old. <laughs> oh, wow. Probably not a good idea to watch that movie, but I sought it out, and it traumatized the living fuck out of me um, <laughs> for many reasons, um, one involving... It was actually the first time that I was exposed to any sex on film. <laughs> At 12 years old, I saw that movie. And it was so weird. And Tommy Wiseau's <laughs> accent, it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And it would haunt my, my fucking dreams. Like, I would go to sleep and I would hear Tommy Wiseau's, oh, hi. <laughs> you know, this terrible accent. And then, of course, uh, the terrible shot of, of Tommy Wiseau's ass. It was just a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. But eventually, I grew uh, I grew very fond of it. Um, I <laughs> I own the Blu-ray. Hey, there it is. It's, uh, it's a lovely cover. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, this will give young kids nightmares. He's like this terrible Photoshop. It's a uh, yeah. I own the Blu-ray of the room. It's a, it's it's an immaculate film. And one of my films that I made in college was about the room. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, it was a it was a documentary on on the room. Because uh, we had to make a documentary, and I said, we just, "Why don't we just make a documentary on the room?" And we we did that, and uh, yeah, and then I read the Disaster Artist, and then I saw the movie in theaters, and it was amazing. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I've had quite a journey with this movie, but it was a, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I can tell, I can tell, lovely. Um, the the way that I discovered the room was through one of my Bible like foundation books. Which is the 101 Cult Movies by Scheider. Mm. Uh, that book, I, I got it when I was uh, 12 years old, 12 or 13. Um, and it has so many of my favorite movies in it. it and I, I still haven't watched all 101, but over the years, so many of those films have become my favorites. You have like Pink Flamingos, you have Blue Velvet. Um, and one of those was The Room, and it looked very weird. I didn't know what it was. Um, and then when I entered the internet, space let's say circa 2012 2013 that's when you had the memes starting to pop up you had the clip compilations on youtube and i decided to watch it um kind of like with both of you it just changed me the first time is very upsetting and i remember just watching it baffled and then after a couple of weeks just feeling 
like constantly going back to it with my mind, just unable to shake it. It's like a ghost haunting you. Like you said, Max, is traumatizing <laughs> just everything that happens in it in terms of context, in terms of, of content, just the visuals, the, the, the nudity, the backwards politics that are on display in it. It's just insane. But I ended up revisiting it, really had fun with it. I had the horrible, horrible idea to be like, hey, mom, do you want to watch a movie together? <laughs> she, <laughs> she got to the iconic rooftop scene and there she like stood up and said, either you're stopping this now or I'm leaving. <laughs> so yes, the first time is very upsetting for most people um, and she couldn't handle it and I totally get it. I, I, I kind of regret it in a way. We weren't um, ready. Yeah, she wasn't ready, you know. She wasn't ready. I've done the um, same thing, and it's it's interesting. <laughs> I had this... It was my mom and my brother. My brother wanted to see it, and my mom was game for anything. And they, they think they got to the first sex scene, and they they just... They could not handle it. Actually, no, I think it was cool. the second one, the one on the stairs. I think that they were just like... they. Yeah. I could see that they were on the verge of, you know, having a brain aneurysm, but they... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so many tastefully done scenes in this film. Um, but of course, yes, The Room started off as this like super niche cult film that people became obsessed with. And with the advent of the internet, it gained a level of popularity that no one was expecting. And so this kind of pushed Greg Sestero, the co-star and, of the film and the main friend of director, actor, producer, writer Tommy Wiseau, to kind of talk about his his experience making this film, but not just that. He also wanted to talk about Tommy himself, because no one knows anything about this man. Like, how old is he? Where does he come from? You want answers to these questions. And so, we have The Disaster Artist, also known as The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, the greatest bad movie ever made. Don't take a person who's crazy. Actually, we need like five more minutes for lighting. No, I'm ready now! Let's go, let's go, Sandy. Come All right, on. Let's uh, roll. Let's do it. Set. Yeah, we're rolling. Ready. Camera has speed. And action. What line? What did line? I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Okay. Action. What is line? I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Scene 112, take 13. Mark it. Action. I did not hit her. I. Okay, okay. Line. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Take 17. Action. I hit her. No. Do you want to change the line? Script is script. Script says same. You're doing great, man. We'll get there. Action. 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 You have to say aloud. I can't hear in here. Say action so I can hear. Okay. I'm curious to know your thoughts on this book, this nonfiction tale that 
in my opinion, takes some very interesting twists and turns, and it's less of a straightforward, you know, retelling of what happened or oral history of the making of the film, and it goes to some very, very interesting places. Uh, Max, why don't you tell us your thoughts on this book? The book is amazing. Uh, it's one of the greatest books about movie making, I think, that's mm. been ever written. And uh, it's, it's packed with many uh, details on the making of The Room. And then goes really deep uh, into who Tommy Wiseau is, uh, where he comes from. It tries to paint a picture of who he is, even though we don't really know much about him. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's very funny, too. Um, you know, it, Tommy Wiseau has said that the book is, none of it is true, and that he was going to write <laughs> his own version of this disaster <laughs> artist. But uh, it'll that that'll never see the light of day. But uh, it's it's, no, it's it's a very good uh, it's a very good book. It's a very well written, like I said, and uh, tons of fun to read. And mm -hmm. uh, when I, I read it back in high school, and it was yeah, no, it was it was a great great time. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy that my sister gave it to me as a Christmas gift. She was like, I I know you like that room uh, film. I saw this in the bookstore. And it's, yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, Hilary, how about you? Uh, I have to agree with Max. Uh, the, the book is incredible. And I feel weird saying that because it seems like it shouldn't. It should be on the same level as The Room. And it's mm -hmm. anything but. It's. I've read it twice now. I mean, I, I read it again in order to prepare for this podcast. And I had the same experience I had while reading it the first time, which is it's one of those rare books where you can't put it down. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's a, that's a very rare experience. Not to say I, I don't like to read or something, but there's something particularly about particular about this book where you just can't put it down. And it's, it just sucks you in. And you, I ended up reading it in a very short period of time, just like the, the first time I read it, um, because it's, it's incredibly compelling. And there's so much in there, like Max said, not only about the production, but also who Tommy is. And then, of course, I think the the core of the story is this friendship between mm -hmm. him and Sestro, which is very, very complicated and at times very dark and abusive. But also, you know, they have a tendency to bring out the best slash worst in each other. And uh, we get to enjoy the results of that, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall, it's it's one of those books where it, it, I can't really say anything bad about it. It's simply fantastic. And it seems ironic that it's something related to the room. <laughs> the room, you can pick apart all the stuff where it just doesn't make any sense. And then the disaster artist is almost like the other side of the coin. Um, and yeah, it's almost a flawless book. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, this is one of the most perfect companion pieces to any media that I've I've experienced. Reading this book and then going back to watching the room just makes it a com not completely different experience. But what I what I really liked about this book when I picked it up, which when when I got it, which was at the end of twenty seventeen, right when the movie was coming out. So I, I wanted to like read it before going to watch the movie. Um, Reading this book inspired me. It's one of the many things that inspired me to actually go out and be like, I'm going to try and make short films, damn it. <laughs> let's let's try and make something out of it. Because it, 
it's not even just you know the more general uh if if Tommy Wiseau can make it then uh, everyone else can make it which which is still you know an inspiring message in its own way but it's just the fact that there was heart and passion behind the making of this and there were blood sweat and tears spilled by everyone in this film and Tommy Wiseau especially to the way that is made portrayed in the movie that we'll get to but he is a complicated man and he is also a dark, dark character. And that's something that fascinated me reading up and listening to some interviews with Greg Sessler talking about this book and the making of The Room, is that the way that he wanted to kind of tell this story, which is told non-linearly, where he keeps cutting back and forth between the actual making of the film and you know the, the whole backstory of how he met Tommy like an acting class and they spent time together and all of that, and they developed their own friendship. It's fascinating that he draws many parallels with the talented Mr. Ripley. This tale of obsession, pseudo-homoerotic tension between the two of them. It's bizarre. Um, how do you feel about this, the back and forth between Tommy and Greg and the way Tommy becomes, you know, is shown to be very abusive, um, he starts almost like gaslighting Greg Sester and, and guilt tripping him to do certain things. Um, how, did that change? Did that change your vision of Tommy in a way? Who wants to go first? I will say that um, Tommy Wiseau is a very um, he he made the room out of pure passion mm. of filmmaking. It's a very earnest effort, even if it sucks. The entire thing is just absolutely <laughs> fucking terrible. But, uh, you know, he he's very passionate about what he does. He thinks he is this incredible, big-shot filmmaker making this, you know, real Hollywood movie. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it's all terrible. He has no idea what he's doing. And, you know, he will go so far to manipulate everyone, you know, around him to, to stay with him. But it's, you know, it's, he's, 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 at his core, he's a very just, you know, passionate person that just wants to make a movie and, 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 and uh, propulse himself to stardom in Hollywood, but things aren't really going his way. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of fascinating to see. Yeah. He, he thinks he's the new Tennessee Williams. <laughs> yeah. Tennessee Williams, uh, Marlon Brando and all that, you know, he's James, James Dean. Dean, of course, James Dean. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's. He's this incredible talent that will be discovered and, and the room will become a cinema classic. It did, but not the way that he'd hoped. So, Yes, which is even interesting seeing that he completely like changed his mind over the years. Um, yeah. Where at first he got really like upset that people were, were not taking his movie seriously. And it's like, this is a serious drama. Borderline auto. It's like a twisted, distorted version of how he sees reality. Um, but in the end, it's, it's, he a, real, it's a real American uh, movie, a real American <laughs> vision. It presents real America. You know, it's like this is it. If you go to America, it's the room. <laughs> Very believable. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hillary, sorry. Oh no, um, yeah, don't worry about it. It's I've just been kind of sneer pottering that question, and I, the thing that surprised me that I'm realizing now is that hearing about how he was. Um, through Greg Sestero's experiences didn't surprise me at all. I think mm. that's what I kind of expected. 
um, as far as him being difficult, because you'd have to be at a certain level of self-confidence in order to make something this inept. And having seen a lot of bad films, like I mentioned before, there is like a certain subgenre of like the director, writer, producer, star, um, where they make something and they're in it and it's just absolutely confounding. Um, and uh, Tommy Wiseau is kind of like the apex of, or the, at least the most popular example of someone who did that. And mm-hmm. I'd say like a few years ago, um, I mean, I don't know if the mythos around the movie has changed so much, but there's some times where I've really upset people um, because when I talk about The Room, like you said, there is something incredibly earnest about it, even though he knew absolutely nothing about filmmaking whatsoever. Like uh, anyone who has like a film background or has worked in production, reading the reading the disaster artist, it's absolutely, it's just awful. Like everything, he does everything he possibly can to make things harder or um, go about doing making decisions that just don't make any sense. But yeah. I would argue with people, I'd say like, like the room in some ways it's like uh you can make fun of it as much as you want but it's just like i was like that was that man's soul you know and people are just like oh give me a fucking break you know like that's bullshit i'm like no i was like that is that man's soul that is the core of him that is his story i mean i immediately saw the tennessee williams or like the melodramas of the 50s in there because i'm a film nerd like i knew what he was trying to do and it just became incredibly you know distorted through his lens of reality you know mm-hmm. um but it is there there's something very truthful about it it's just the truthfulness of it is really really unintentionally funny <laughs> yeah and also what what really works for me is that I, I, we're all experiencing this from greg's point of view and he's so self-aware which i thoroughly appreciated because if we saw this if it was written by tommy like the tommy version of this movie um Mm. he would be the hero he would be you know doing everything great no one understood his genius and it's so beautiful in its own way to see greg maybe even naive i don't know but just greg standing by his friend and being like you know what this isn't really working everyone is aware this is going to be horrible the longer the shoot goes on but I also had a, made a commitment here and is a bit torn between like, you know, should I stay or should I go <laughs> in general? <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of these doubts from him, but also from, from Tommy. They, they, are, they, they make it even more human. Um, and they make some of the, you know, short, massive shortcomings of the film uh, even more impressive in a way of just kind of like, you know, they still made it. They still went out and made this film. Um, despite some questionable behavior, uh, having a terrible relationship with cinematographers <laughs> and oh, their God, assistants yeah. on the set, uh, creating these massive sets that were super expensive, actually buying the equipment, shooting film and digital at the same time in an age where like 2002 when they shot this, it was unheard of and just kind of pointless. I think like the Star Wars prequels were coming out that were shot entirely on digital so it was still in its infancy. <laughs> it was like, I'm doing it all. I'm doing it all. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just throwing money everywhere. Money that God knows where it came from. Yeah. What a guy. What a production. Um, I mean, it's, there's, it's worth bringing up that the the age difference between the two of them is very mm. intriguing. Because 
uh, I think that when they met, Greg was 19. Yep. And I'm assuming, you know, we don't know how old Tommy Wiseau is, but in my mind, it's like, he's 20 years older. And um, I did- Maybe more. Like, yeah, maybe more. <laughs> um, and the whole thing with uh, Greg's mother and the- in the book, I really appreciated that. I mm. think I identified a little bit because I also have a mother who's, you know, from Europe and an immigrant. And like the, f <laughs> he takes her, takes Greg to LA. She's just like, you're not having sex with my son, you know, just like coming out <laughs> and saying it like, because like you mentioned before, there could be homoerotic tension, um, at least like in real life. The movie, I, I don't really see it. I'm sure that some people do. Um, mm -hmm. There's an argument for that. Um, but I've even reading the book the second time. I almost wonder whether, because Tommy keeps bringing up in his background stories of men propositioning him when he was really poor, and I wonder if that's how he got his money. Like, did he end up just mm. getting like he ended up inheriting something from somebody that he, you know, had to rely on during a desperate time in his life? I mean, I. I absolutely don't know. I don't think I have any evidence for that, but it did make me wonder about that because that story kept coming up over and over again and then him reaffirming right. over and over again, like, like, no, I'm straight. Let's go get girls. Have a good time, <laughs> huh? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I do wonder if Tommy, in a weird way, was acting out that weird relationship or weird relationships he had with men back in the day with Greg, except there was no sex in it. It was just like, I'm in control and you're not. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess you guys would have to dig into it more than me. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it definitely has a, uh, he really likes to be in control of everything to a fault. Um, he never comes across reading even his own relationship with Greg. He never comes across like he 100% trusts him. He's always... I don't know, even like maybe ready to bail. Who knows what experiences he's had in the past where he has had to run away from something that was going to be potentially dangerous. Um, and I find it very, very interesting that Greg paints a picture. I think you mentioned it earlier a bit, Maxence, but just he paints a picture of a potential backstory to Tommy. Yeah. That's very believable. Like, it fits like you're reading it and it fits He's like well if, if this was the truth i wouldn't bat an eye and it actually makes him even much more of a tragic figure um where it doesn't justify some of his stalkery uh, even abusive i dare i say behavior that he presents throughout the story um but still you know he has different sides to him some are lighter and some of them are darker um, what I found most troubling, especially after after a Me Too, the Me Too era, which was interesting, reading the book in 2017, which is right when all of that was happening, you know. Um, but but the way that he he treated the lead actress, I don't even remember her name. I feel so bad right now. Um, the one who plays Lisa, uh, oh uh, Juliet Danielle, Juliet Danielle. There she is. Um, I feel so bad for her where she, like, honestly, she was a trooper for going through with this film and kind of like, you know, I'm, uh, it's fine, everyone, I'll, let's, let's shoot the sex scene, even if it's an open set, even though it's, it's like, it's very awkward, like, very, very awkward. It's, I, I bless her. 
I'll just say that. Bless her. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there any story from from this book related to the making of the disaster artist that stood out to you, Max? Uh, you mean like in the book? Yeah, yeah, in the book. <laughs> when he, when, he um, when they talked about making the uh, rooftop scene, that he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't get the line, even though it was the most simple fucking thing imaginable. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 kind of embarrassing that they spent. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember how many takes um, getting that particular particular line. Uh, yeah. But it, it was worth it in the end because it's it's it's, it's iconic. It's properly iconic. It's iconic, but it, the line makes no sense. It's, I did it's, not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, I'm... hi, Mark. <laughs> Just Mark. Or, Everyone's always on this rooftop for some reason. Or, or, or when uh, Greg talks about the um, the scene in which uh, Mark tells um, Johnny this really terrible story about this woman got got beat up, and then he's like, ha, what a story, Mark. And he keeps laughing, even though it's not funny, and everybody's telling him to stop laughing. He just laughs all the time. It's so weird. It's uh, so, uh... It is weird. Like, <laughs> What's he thinking? Is he actually, I don't know. Does he genuinely think that it's a funny story? Does he just not know how to react to it? Um, and what I like about this book is that you never get an answer. That's like you you understand uh, Tommy a bit better, but yeah, you never fully get an answer to who he is. But yeah, you what don't. a guy! You don't. <laughs> um, how about you, Hillary? Was is there any like? anecdote from the making of the room in this book that stood out to you that has just lingered in your mind uh you know i remember from the first time reading it you know about the the crew turnover and even mm. until last night i thought like oh yeah i think that there was like three different cinematographers and then i was reading it and i think it was four um yep. i'm sure that like a hardcore roomie would probably correct me on that whether i'm right or wrong um but I think it's just the amount of um, just like him being late all the time, three hours late every day and how he's spying on everybody. Mm. Um, I think the revelation that he's spying on everybody isn't altogether that surprising, but also just incredibly um, <laughs> just like a waste of time and extraordinarily creepy. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like how uh, Juliet was treated on set mm. and how she took that. Um, she took it incredibly well, considering how, uh, you know, the material she was given. And um, I know that in the book, they said that like, it was near the end of production. They did the sex scene. And Greg talks about like how several of the cast, uh, not cast, the crew members like were restraining themselves from like interfering and like mm. starting to yell or like pull them off of her. And then in the... In the movie, I know we haven't gotten to the movie yet. It was it was kind of cathartic to see Paul Shear lose it as Raphael and just be like, "You don't treat her that way," you know. Like people have to like hold him back or whatever. Someone said it at least. Yeah, he's just like like this is ridiculous or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll get to the movie later because that actually never happened. But um, that that was that was real as far as like how he how he treated people, and it's very much. 
in line with that director mythos like you and mm-hmm. there's still men it's particularly men who still fall for the for, fall for this kind of mythos and i've worked with some of them where they think they have to yell at you or break you down or start making you cry or just treat you like shit in order to you know have you do a like to make you do a good job and that's not necessary and it seemed like a that's where Tommy was coming from. He never explains it, but they did put a scene in the movie where he talks about Hitchcock. Yeah. And I thought it was so funny because it's like, he's like, yeah, but he didn't direct with his dick out. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, we've heard some things now. Like, not necessarily literally, but there was some weird shit happening behind the scenes. Oh, yes. I was... Very strange. Was small sidetrack, but just... I was listening to the podcast, You Must Remember This. Oh, um, God, Yeah so good i love it love it love it love it if, you, if you're listening to this just go listen to it afterwards <laughs> but it's worth it um and they're talking about you know the erotic 80s but they uh, uh, they do talk about the uh the mother of melanie griffith i'm forgetting her name who starred it's in the tippy. birds tippy hedron tippy. and what happened to her yeah uh, just unbelievable yeah. unbelievable uh, you know hitchcock you know um it is some very bad things. And it's always the case of like, you know, we shouldn't idolize. And and that's kind of ultimately what I love about the disaster artist is that it takes the legend of Tommy Wiseau and it makes him more human with all of the negatives that come with that. Um, mm-hmm. We should never idolize people because everyone is flawed and everyone has acted in some very, you know, disturbing ways, some more than others, some less than others, but, you know, um, I think what's was stuck with me outside of the the, the Juliet's um, portion is just it's upsetting. But what stood out to me of a, on on a lighter note um, is the producer credits that pop up in the film. It's like some of them are fake names, some of them are like people that he knew that dead, maybe dead gave people. money, dead people. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> it's just just filling up the the, the opening credits of the film. Um, even just the way that they shot the opening credits going around San Francisco, just bonkers, bonkers stuff. Um, but I think this is a good time to transition into the 2017 movie of The Disaster Artist. This adaptation came out f- only four years after the book was published, but everyone wanted to make it because, you know, it was a bankable name after a while. You know, it was like Tommy Wiseau, everyone knows who he is. is is turning a profit now with the room, like having screenings all over the world. Um, and so they decided to make a cinematic adaptation. And of all the people to make it, we have everyone's favorite um, director, James Franco, <laughs> helming it. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, um, we'll get to it. Um, this movie, yes, stars James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, and his brother Dave Franco plays Greg Sesterol. You also have in this massive A-list cast Seth Rogen, Alison Brie, Zac Efron, Josh Hutcherson, Jackie Weaver, Paul Shear, we've mentioned, Jason Mantzoukas, Sharon Stone, Melanie Griffith, actually, Annibal Burris, just uh, Brian Cranston has a cameo, like uh, everyone's in this film, pretty much all of uh, you know, Hollywood, especially comedians from Hollywood, are in this film. And it came out distributed by A24, maybe even produced, I don't remember this detail. And everyone loved it. And it got a massive, 
massive critical and commercial success at the time. It ended up scoring multitude of nominations at awards shows, including Golden Globes. James Franco even won Best Actor in a Comedy. Everyone was like, "Oh man, is he going to is he going to win the Oscar as well?" And then some very troubling allegations came out, and he was basically kind of blacklisted in a way. Um, and since then, I haven't actually heard much of him. I know there's like maybe one or two more directorial efforts of his that came out, but he's it's kind of vanished into nothingness after this film came out. Uh, maybe for the better, some would say. Who knows? But yes, how do we feel about the movie The Disaster Artist? Artist. Why did I put an H? The Disaster Artist. <laughs> um, should I go first? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, I can't talk about The Disaster Artist without talking about James Franco. I can't. Uh, I've seen his his other films. I haven't seen the films he's made after The, Dis- the Disaster Artist. Um, I'd say that the, the Disaster Artist is his most accessible film and probably his most successful or enjoyable one because his other ones are very, um, I don't know how to, to put it. I don't think they're necessarily bad, but they're like, they're, uh, like, like trash. I don't want to say that they're trash, but they're very experimental. They, they push at things, um, as far as like form, they cast people like Danny McBride in like serious roles, um, Mm. obviously putting people out of their depth, things like that, that, um, that people hate. They just hate as they hated his movies. Every single time you put one out, people would be like, Oh my God, you know, just, um, there was a joke that, um, you guys are familiar with between two ferns. Mm-hmm. Um, when yeah. Zach Galifianakis interviewed him, my favorite joke, he said, it's like, which art project of yours has made people roll their eyes the hardest. And I thought that really sums up how people <laughs> feel about his work. Um, but I didn't want to see the, the disaster artist. The, I think the reason why I ended up seeing it was because of how I felt about the book. It's mm. strange that Franco was associated with it because I had, I had strong feelings about him ever since the, the first allegations about him came out about him, you know, creeping on, you know, teenagers online and trying to get them to meet with him in his hotel room and stuff like that. And it was during a time pre-Mew 2 where I bring that up and people would be like, shut up. We don't want to hear it. You know, or like, it's not a big deal or whatever. And I'd be like, no, that's creepy. It's creepy that a guy in his late 30s is trying to get like teenagers to come to his hotel room to do no, who knows what to them. And then, you know, and just get away with it. And everyone kind of gave him a free pass with that one. It was really, it was really disgusting. For some reason. I know, like, <laughs> like he was on, um, to defend. Yeah, like uh, there was a, he went on the show, I think it was like Kelly and, it wasn't um, Kelly and Regis, but it was one of those morning shows and he kind of talked about, he brought it up, which was weird. And then I think one of the hosts said like, well, it happens to everybody. And I was like, what? (laughs) Does it? Does it happen to everyone? (laughs) I don't know. I'm an adult and I've never texted a teenager to come meet me somewhere for, you know, nefarious reasons. It's really easy to not do that. Um, So... Going to see it, I mean, I enjoyed it because it was about the room, but pretty much, like, as far as, like, him in it and stuff like that, my my feelings about it are very complicated. And I'm going to turn mm. it over to Max before I rant too much. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, go, Max. Well, I personally think James Franco hasn't made a good movie. Uh, uh, direct, director, Directorial-wise, I would say he hasn't made a good movie. 
and uh, Disaster Artist is his only good movie, and uh, it is the only movie that I genuinely love uh, because it is very funny, uh, and um, you know, allegations aside, he nailed the uh, impression of mm. uh, Tommy Wiseau perfectly, and he it was the it was the best role of his career. And, uh, you know, he did it all himself. He directed the film. I think he wrote the movie as well and then started it and I think produced it like Tommy Wiseau. So, uh, no, it was, it, it was, it was a really fun movie to see on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, also in IMAX, I saw this movie in oh, IMAX. Uh, and when they played some of the scenes from the room in IMAX, it was like a very cathartic moment for me. Uh, it was like, wow, I'm watching The Room in IMAX. And now this is just a little, if IMAX is listening to this, please release The Room full IMAX 3D. Uh, the world deserves it. You're doing Jaws, you're doing E.T., The Room next, please. Anyways, it's a great movie. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's not a faithful adaptation of the book. There's a lot of things that mm. it ignores, like Tommy's backstory completely ignored, the more dramatic yeah. parts of the book completely ignored but just the making of the room it's really just about the making of the room and the friendship between tommy and greg the rest of it is ignored but the movie is still very good uh it's it's a great adaptation nice nice um i remember watching this film i want to say one day or two days tops after i finished reading the book (laughs) i was waiting last second i was like i want to finish reading it this before actually watching the film um and back then i loved it I was kind of like, oh man, this is inc- funny, heartfelt, incredible. I'm so into this. I, I, I'm loving it. Oh man, it's inspiring and all that good stuff. And then I rewatched it for this podcast. And the experience was quite different. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, uh, this movie, what hurt it the most was, I, I, not even to get into the James Franco stuff per se, because it's, it is oh, kind of hard to separate some of those things, but you know, even just taking it for what it is, I think they made the film kind of with the wrong intentions, if it makes sense. Um, and what what struck me as odd, I for completely forgot that this movie opens up with like three minutes of talking heads <laughs> of like who's who Hollywood actors like Kristen Bell and um, Adam Scott. JJ oh, yeah. JJ Abrams comes and they're like, oh, this movie, you know, they, they talk with this inspiring music in the background. And it's done completely earnestly about, you know, them talking about how funny and uh, uh, important in its own way the room is. And I'm like, what? It feels like Hollywood just jumping on the bandwagon of the success of the room and being kind of like, oh, this is what people like. This is funny. We're laughing at something that's bad. You know, heads off for actually making it, you dumb idiots. But still horrible. And, uh, it felt weird. And then I was even looking up interviews with James Franco talking about like why he wanted to make the film. And for him, it was all about, you know, the the Hollywood side of things. It's, it's the making of a movie. It's uh, doing the best that you can in the face of adversities. And I think in his own egotistical ways, he sees himself as Tommy, who he almost kind of wishes he had achieved the success that Tommy has with one of his own uh, feature films as a director. And so it, it ends up being, for me at least, this 
overly simplified version of the brook, which is still fairly fun. Like, it's fun to see all of those, even though it's a bit, you know, whatever, but it's still fun to see famous people playing real life, like cast and crew members of the production. And you go like, oh, Seth Rogen is the script advisor. Or yeah, you have Paul Shear as the cinematographer, I think, the DP. Whatever, um, Hannibal Burris is one of and Jason Mantzoukas are uh, selling the equipment and renting the studio. Like all of that stuff is fun, but it never really captures the essence of the book. And this is something that I want to ask you to actually, because uh, Tommy Wiseau, we've mentioned, <laughs> he, did, he didn't really like the book. I think he said something like he only forty percent of it is true or whatever. But then he said that the movies on Jimmy Fallon or uh, Jimmy Kimmel, whoever, he said that the movie is 99.9% accurate, (laughs) which is a ridiculous statement. But I think it boils down to it's it's a positive portrayal. He's the hero in here. It's never really dark. It's never really condemning him outside of you know, one or two scenes because you cannot really avoid them. You cannot avoid the way he treated uh, Juliet. You cannot avoid some of the, you know, uh, coming late to the film set or having someone documenting everything to the point of just literally spying on people. But it comes off more as quirky. It is played as a borderline straight comedy in here. How do you feel about the tone of the film compared to the book and the portrayal of Tommy? Um, yeah. The floor is yours. <laughs> I mean, what I can say is that, um, I mean, I'm looking at my notes here that I took last night when I watched this, is that it's exactly what you said. It's um, it's about making Tommy more likable, and it's, it is a sanitized, inver- uh, sanitized mm. version of what happened, uh, which in some ways is really troubling because what makes the book so fascinating is what what's making Tommy operate or what is making him behave the way that he is? Like, why is he so paranoid? Why is he so controlling? Um, why is he so um, wealthy? Why is he so fixated <laughs> on this dream? It, there's just so much going on. Um, and uh, it's, it, there's things that definitely, um, I mean, as far as like the was so in the film, uh, what occurred to me is that it's really, really hard to play this man. It's I'd mm-hmm. say like it's almost borderline impossible. Um, only Tommy Wiseau can play <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. And I will say that Franco does a really great imitation. A great imitation. Like if this had just been a bunch of recreations that were on Funny or Die. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> that, would, that would be, that's incredible enough. But um in some ways, you know, like there's things that Franco can't help. Like he's too much of a pretty person. He's too young to be playing Tommy as far as his age. Mm. Um, and there's something about Tommy in order for things to work, in order for the relationship between him and Greg to mean something, there is like a sort of like warmth and innocence and even sometimes kind of like this naivete and sweetness in the in the book as far as like how Tommy is, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. this, he makes you feel sorry for him. And I think that's yeah. a lot of why Greg's relationship with him went on for so long. And I know that in some ways, maybe it wasn't discussed very much, but the release of the film was hard for Tommy. 
in some ways. And um, I think Greg Sestero said that's why he ended up writing the best friends movies. He says, I wrote them for my friend because, you know, he kind of implied that the, the success of the disaster artist was hard on him in a way. It was kind of like, well, let's do something else. And maybe you can show that you can play other characters other than um, your character in the room. So as far as like um, the portrayal, there is something a little bit like it's a good imitation, but it's kind of cold. I don't want to, mm. it seems weird to say that about the Franco performance that it's cold, but it's, it's just an imitation. There isn't anything psychological or deep that's happening underneath. Even you kind of even see it in the um, post credit sequence where Wiseau actually shows up and plays someone else, <laughs> that it's a completely yeah. different person. It's someone that you do like, there is something about him that is off putting, but also fascinating. And it's, it's so hard for an actor to capture that. And Franco wasn't the guy to do it. Um, and that's what occurred to me watching it this, I think it's like my third or fourth time seeing the film. Oh, wow. This was only my second time, uh, thankfully. <laughs> I don't think there will be a third anytime soon. Um, but Max, as someone who really loves this movie, even on repeat viewings, how did it? What do you think about this? Just Frank's performance and compared to Tommy as we know it in the limited way that we know it, but still, yeah. Well, it's not Tommy Wiseau, you know, it's not a pure imitation of Tommy Wiseau, but it's still, I would say it is still very good. It nails the accent, it nails the mannerisms. James Franco looks nothing like Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> no one looks like Tommy Wiseau. Um, you know, but even with the, the, the bad makeup and prosthetics that he has, he still manages to give a rather authentic portrayal of him, you know, through the through his own limitations, I would say. But no, he's he's fine. Like, he's, like, I don't really like James Franco as an actor and as a filmmaker. I don't think mm. he's made very good movies. And I don't think he starred in many good movies. Like, um, you know, I don't think he's that great of, a, of an actor just personally. But for Disaster Artist, he really, really immersed himself into, into the role of Tommy Wiseau, into the making of The Room. And it was, it was a lot of fun to watch, even if it, has, it is a very incomplete portrait of um, Tommy Wiseau as an as a whole in the making of the room, uh, it's still it's still a good time at the movies. Like if you go to the movie mm -hmm. theater with a crowd full of people that love the room, which is how I saw it in IMAX opening opening day, it's awesome. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, no, it's 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 really you know it's it's it's, it's a great movie about filmmaking, and I think there are very few good movies about filmmaking, and it's a uh, it, 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 it's fun it's fun to see even though you know there's a lot of cameos there's a lot of things that distract us from the main story of the movie i still i still think it's a good movie hmm. well here's a question is that and this is something that ended up coming a lot while i was watching it again is like is all the goodwill toward this film as far as it being a good film just because of the built-in love that people have for the room and also the star quality as far as like the people who appeared in it whether it's the talking heads at the beginning which mm. I kind of see now is like, wow, this is back when James Franco had pull in the industry, <laughs> and that's gone now. Remember the days? <laughs> yeah, remember, remember back days. five years ago. Um, but also, Jeez. like, everyone who appears in it, there's so many comedians in this, and I know to a certain degree, especially with comedians, I can't really say for actors, comedians love this film. And the ca I have to say the casting for this, like, even little things like Nathan Fielder as Peter. Yes. Or, um, you know... Um, 
that's so perfectly cast. Even Seth Rogen as Sandy, which mm-hmm. you know is like he was cast because he's a friend of Franco's and they've appeared in a lot of things together. He looks like Sandy. He and the guy <laughs> that's portrayed in the book is that kind of person who is a reality <laughs> check who is just like about to lose it all the time. And he actually did a pretty good, um, good job of it, you know. And I mean, there's be other people who pop up like Bob Odenkirk. Um, mm-hmm. Judd Apatow, Jared Carmichael, Ooh, yeah. long before, I mean, he's just starting to become a household name. Um, there's a lot of people crammed into this. And I wonder if it's not, it seems compared to James Franco's other output that a lot of people wanted to be involved with this out of the love they had for the movie, maybe not necessarily the project itself. So that's my question. Do you guys think it's one or the other, or is it just a coincidence? Oh, I, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people love the movie mm. and uh, love the fact that there was a, a a movie being made on the movie, which was never going to happen again. You know, they made a movie on the making of The Room. It's going to bring The Room even more into the mainstream because it was like a cult hit. Like, if you haven't heard of The Room, like before The Disaster Artist, if you hadn't heard of The Room, you know, you didn't know what it was, you probably may have gone through your life without having um, seen The Room. Like, I had to drag some of my friends, like, you have to watch The Room, you have to watch The Room. Like, they haven't, they haven't heard of The Room. It's like, right now, there's this incredible film that's on Netflix. It's called RRR. If you haven't seen it, mm. it's good. It's just incredible. But, like, I, I went to see that movie in a theater with, like, five people, and then I <laughs> I talked to everybody I know, like, you have to see this movie, you have to see this movie, you have to see this movie. Same thing with The Room. Like, it's, it's the word of mouth. But, like, this movie was going to bring, you know, uh, a, a cult sort of obscure hit that was playing in theaters, you know, every month or so into the mainstream and, and get more people into actually watching uh, the room. Like they would watch the disaster artist and they would probably seek out the room just to see how bad it was. At least I know some of my friends watched the disaster artist and then went to watch the room for the first time, um, mm. you know, with, with context. Mm. And, uh, yeah. Do you think that the, the way that the disaster artist made the room mainstream, basically, like even more so that than than before the movie came out, do you do you almost see that as a? I don't want to say a negative because this sounds very gatekeepy. I want to avoid that. <laughs> I want to phrase this correctly, but just it felt more special if it makes sense. Like beforehand, you know, the fact that no one really knows about this film. And if you find someone who does, it's kind of like, oh my God, you know the room. And it's it's a good way to bond with someone. It's like a secret handshake kind of thing. But now, and I think it actually kind of ties with what you said, Hilary, um, which I, I, I didn't actually know about Tommy, you know, like not being the biggest fan of this film being successful, as, as successful as it was. Um, I... I I think, yeah, he did the publicity, he went on talk shows, but it never really seemed like people took him seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost like a, um, an arc or a parable, which just kind of like, you know, started out where no one's taking my movie seriously, blah, 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 blah. Then you reach the apex where final, it's it was actually meant to be a comedy. People come watch my movie, throw spoons at the screen and all that good stuff. But then now, yes, he probably got tired of that too, which is like... I, I, Fair play, man. Like after 15 years promoting the same movie, going to the same screenings, um, and still not being taken seriously. I don't know. I think it changed him in some way. 
Um, and it's I even remember the Golden Globe debacle. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you remember. I do. James, how do you think he? Well, do you think James Franco did the right thing not putting Tommy on on Mike? No, he should have let him speak. God damn it! Mm. It was his moment. Because then after that, well, all the allegations came out, and then he wasn't even invited to the Oscars. Tommy was up because yeah. of this. Uh, so, yeah. Like, that was his time to shine, you know. It's you know it's a tough one for me because having read the book, I also know that he's a big enough of an egomaniac that he might have gotten up to the microphone and taken up the whole time for the speech. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a tough one, um, it, and it's but it's basically um, it does really hinge on your like how much you like or tolerate James Franco because I mean it's basically two egomaniacs on the stage, but they're just two different egomaniacs. One um, is more power than the other in that context. <laughs> oh, definitely. And it was interesting that afterwards they asked him what he was going to say. And it was, you know, just, you know, if people loved each other, the world would be a better place, um, which is rather harmless. Um, but I guess Franco we didn't know, didn't know at the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's, that's even that's the thing that kind of made me sad watching that scene play out in real time. It's kind of like, again, James Franco didn't trust him in a way. I don't think he would have said anything particularly uh, outrageous because he, he never really has in his own way. Even if you see, I, I haven't been able to go to one of his Q&As. I came this close. I was supposed to go at the end of March 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and we know what happened then. We yeah. had tickets and everything. Yikes. For the Prince Charles in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I have friends who've, who've been to those. I don't know if you've ever actually asked if any of you two managed to go to one of the live screenings with Tommy or uh, I haven't, no. but I have. I have friends who have, and they've mm. like one friend told me he's like, "Oh my god, he was like three hours late," and I was like, "Let me tell you, that's <laughs> completely normal." He's like, "Oh, I get it. It's in character." <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was like a midnight showing, or oh, it was a late night showing, and he didn't show up for several hours before the movie started, and everyone was like, "We're like tired and cranky," but it was worth it. Um, yeah, they're they're all they've been positive experiences. I haven't heard any stories about him going up there and like rambling or um saying weird shit but maybe it's the it has opposite, happened. Actually. i don't know um from I, I i know uh three different people who saw it in three different times in even like years but he told me that basically he always acts kind of the same way where he's almost like detached and disinterested from the movie is there primarily as a businessman and he does the q a where if he doesn't like the question that you ask he's just gonna be like i don't want to talk about it next <laughs> Yep, that's fair. that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah, and he probably gets the same. I, I, I think he's way smarter than people give him credit for, and that's what shines through watching, uh, reading the book, and doesn't really come through watching the movie. The movie is kind of like this quirky doofus who just kind of, you know, because of money and whatever, he manages to make this movie happen. But in the book, um, there's much more heart and history to him that we don't know, but we feel you're feeling everything that he kind of went through, even though you don't really know what words to put into his history. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I saw him going on stage, it was kind of like, he's not going to say anything bad. Like, what's he going to say? Like, kill everyone. What's he going to say? Some stupid joke? And <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's a shame he didn't have the opportunity to speak. But Yeah. Well, I think that maybe Franco knew that was, I think that's the first time he's won anything as far as like a, a, a high tier award. So I think he yeah. didn't want that to go to waste either. 
he's oh, like, yeah. hey, I finally made it. You're going to stand back and I'm going to talk. And he did. This is my time to shine. It is my uh-huh. time to shine. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Now, step aside. Um, yeah, it was an uncomfortable moment. It, it was, but it's not the most uncomfortable moment <laughs> during an award ceremony. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Since um, then, there have been a couple. <laughs> well, there's even ones before, like, oh, ones yes. that I, I wasn't around for. Like, there was a streaker at the Oscars once, and um, sashing Little Feather, and just all sorts of stuff. John Ford, the wanting to kill her. Fun, fun times, you know. Yeah. And, uh, this year, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, of course. What? I never heard about that. <laughs> That's news to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm curious. Let's let's go to the final question of the show. Um, at the end of the day, ultimately, Max, what do you prefer, the movie or the book, The Disaster Artist? Oh, uh, the book, because it is much more detailed and draws a more complete picture on who Tommy Wiseau is than the film. Even if the film is very entertaining, uh, the book is, is, is far better because of that. Nice, nice. Hillary, how about you? What do I you have, prefer? I have to agree. Yeah, the, <laughs> the book is, is miles and miles ahead of the, of the film in almost every way. So I would say, you know, sit down, read a book. This is the book for that um, that is definitely worth reading, whether you're a fan of the room or a fan of filmmaking or not. It's definitely worth sitting down and cracking open because it's it's a roller coaster ride. Oh yeah, I this is an echo chamber. I completely agree. Easily the book this time around. Um, for everything that you both said right now and before, but just I think you said it maybe Hillary in, in the beginning, but just it's such an easy read. And I remember reading, this is one of the first books that I read and enjoyed in a short amount of time back in 2017. I had a kind of a lull. I think we all have those years, you know, where you're just kind of not feeling the desire or need to read something, um, especially when we were younger. And that's what I was like, going through. I was kind of like, yeah, 19. I was like, ah, like reading, I don't really care to do it. I've done it for high school. I'm done with that now. Um but this book kind of rekindled that passion. Like, it was so entertaining. So so well written, even. We haven't really touched on that. But it's just very well written and very engaging in terms of structure, in terms of syntax. Uh, the way it's almost like it has this bird's eye view of events sometimes, where it's more objective than subjective. Just brilliant book. Absolutely. Like, if you got this far and you haven't read the book, what are you doing? Go out and buy it. Um, I've heard I've heard excerpts from the audiobook. I don't know if any of you have heard it. No, but it's I was Greg reading Sestero. about that yesterday. Yeah, it's hey. Greg Sestero imitating Tommy, which I've heard is really, really good. So go on YouTube. There's there's I, I might actually use that as a clip in the opening. I don't know, but there's there's some like he, he does a good imitation. Um, <laughs> it really makes a he really nails the voice. But that's the least you'd expect when you have been friends with someone for like 15 years. Um, but yes. This is it for this episode of the Death by Adaptation podcast. Let's go around the table. Where can our listeners find you guys? Hillary, you go first. Uh, I 
think the easiest way to find me would be on Letterboxd. I am under the name Laudanum at 33. If you go there, there is a campsite link you can click on that links to just about everything else. That's where I would start. Lovely. Maxans, how about you? Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Max from Quebec when I, where I just rave about <laughs> RRR 95% of the time. Watch this movie. I also got um, a link tree on my Twitter hey, uh, where nice. you'll find all of my reviews, all of my interviews, podcast appearances. Recently, I interviewed a bunch of people uh, on Moon Knight, uh, oh. including May Kalamawi. So if you want to check these interviews out, it's on my link tree on my Twitter account. Easiest way you can find me. Watch RRR if you haven't. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I can indeed confirm, like, the passion that Max has in promoting RRR. Like, I, I honestly, the only reason I haven't seen it yet is because I don't have the time for a three-hour movie. But I want, it's like, I have to find, like, those this time slot to watch it because your passion, like, you've gone properly viral with yeah, your kids promoting it. Like, this movie is incredible. You have to check it out. Anyways. Well, I'm so excited. You, you need, yeah, you need that guy. You need that guy who finds stuff. Sometimes I've been that guy where it's like I find something and I'm like, this is so weird. All of you need to see this. Like, especially my male friends, like way back when Twilight came out, I went to my guy friends and I'm like, you guys need to see this. And they're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, you need to see this. And it was like a room moment. We took up a whole row and we're just laughing through yes, the entire yeah. film. So, yeah, you do need that that word of mouth for something that particular and i will look up rrr for sure it looks like um is it was it made in india yes it's an it's a ss rajamoli's latest movie it is amazing it's on netflix and hindi but that's dubbed but it doesn't matter as long as you watch <laughs> it you will have a great time <laughs> well it also goes without saying i do want to bring this up as some trivia the people who ended up making the room go viral is just a few people ended up going and seeing it during its first yeah. run yeah. Um, the one of the guys is affiliated with Five Second Films, and he ended up making the movie Dude Bro Party Massacre Three, and Greg Sestero oh. is in it, and that is an yeah. amazing film to watch. So if you want to watch RRR and Dude Bro Massacre Three back to back with Greg Sestero, do it. <laughs> you will not regret it. I, I, I've, I've seen neither. I've heard of Dude Bro Party Massacre. I have to watch it. There's so many movies. There's always something to watch. There's always something to read. But, you know, that's, that's part of the fun of life. Yeah. We, we are blessed with art of every kind. <laughs> well, art. Um, We're saying that with quotes sometimes. Well, you know, you know those, those things are art in their own right. Um, we need junk food sometimes to fill us up and make us feel better. Not to say that this is it's junk, but uh, uh, anyway, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at nikikbrown 97 and there you can find my link tree, link tree forward slash enjoy the movies with links to my YouTube videos, my short films, my documentaries, uh, my writing for Clapper, and of course, be sure to follow this show, Death by Adaptation, on Twitter and Instagram at Death Adaptation Twitter and Death by Adaptation pod on Instagram. And also check out the Uncut Gems podcast where every week me and my co-hosts Jakub Flash and Randy Burrs, we talk about, you know, underrated gems from the history of cinema. So definitely check that out as well. Thank you for listening. We look forward to uh, having you in two weeks time where we'll be talking about another non-fiction book and actually a documentary we will be talking about roger ebert's life itself so stay tuned for that one and we hope to see you soon bye bye